Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room episode ad-free? Head on over to our Patreon, where you will get this episode and all of our episodes ad-free. And you can see our video episode, including this one right now, where you'll see my beautiful face and the guest's beautiful face. Who doesn't love that? And I am so excited to announce that all of you can get a one-week free trial on our Patreon. Join the ITBR professor level and you unlock all of Mary's True Crime and Academia Patreon episodes, our rewatch show, including Queer as Folk and Smash. You can even listen to us dissect Scream and The Exorcist. And I heard, rumor has it, that we have an upcoming Fall of the House of Usher episode. And yes, even a Saltburn episode, which is going to be quite riveting. So head to patreon.com backslash ivory tower boiler room, join the one week free trial and see what you're missing out on. And while you're at it, please follow us on Instagram and TikTok at ivory tower boiler room, rate, follow, and subscribe to us on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Thanks so much. And I hope that you enjoy all of our ivory tower boiler room episodes. Hey, true crime friends. Welcome back to a new episode of True Crime in Academia. I am your host, Mary DePippi. I'm actually coming live to you from my kitchen, this portion of the episode, um, multitasking right now. So if you hear any kitchen sounds, that is why. Um, I hope you all had a wonderful week, or actually last past couple of weeks, um, last week, we did a recap of my episode, not a recap, but a re-feature of my interview with Dr. Mack from Revealing the Ivory Tower. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, I've been like so stressed out the past like couple of weeks. It has just been nonstop. Um, last week, we had our huge sales meeting that you heard me talk about. I think I brought it up a few times here. Um, so that was just four days of absolute chaos. You know, not to discount the absolute, you know, number of days and nights of chaos leading up to it. Um, yeah, so it was just a lot then. And then Friday, my sister and I went and got matching tattoos. Um, we got our parents' anniversary in Roman numerals. I'm very excited. It's healing up very nicely. But then, literally, the, then that whole weekend, I had yoga teacher training. So that's all just to say that I've had a very people <laughs> last week and you know this week was better you know but it was just you know trying to recover and recoup from all of that when kind of really wasn't possible um I also have my hernia surgery coming up next week so I just also had phone calls and doctor's appointments for that so it's just been it's been the two weeks So in some ways, I'm kind of looking forward to my surgery because I will be forced to not do anything 
um, just because I'll be in pain and just want to heal properly. So I'll be doing as minimal <laughs> moving around and working and things as possible. But, you know, I'm also just looking forward to having it fixed and, you know, being able to allow it to heal and really just regrow and, you know, transform my abdominal muscles so that way, you know, this doesn't happen again. But, yeah, so even still, though, I'm, like, trying to make sure my laundry's done, even though I have this whole week, but just trying to get all of that done. I washed my sheets. I washed my blankets. I'm just doing all the things, guys, (laughs) to, you know, prep for this and, you know, make sure it's as easy as possible, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, I've been craving some chili, and I just wanted to get it started. So that's why we're we're recording the news update from my kitchen. Right now, I got the peppers and onions going, and they smell amazing. But anyway, let's get into what you came here for, right? So let's get into the news update. I'm covering a couple of stories, just three this week, but they are kind of huge. I know I was going to talk about the whole Epstein list and everything, again it's just it's been a stressful time so I just picked these three because they are also kind of big and happening right now I promise I will get to the Epstein list I might actually just save that for when I do a bonus episode for the patrons um, about Epstein so you know we'll see but we will talk about it I promise So, without any further ado, let's get into this news update. A judge has denied Cher's request, yes, pop star Cher's request for an emergency conservatorship over her son, Elijah Blue Allman, and his finances. Well, his finances, specifically. According to court documents, Cher stated that she requested this emergency conservatorship because of her son's because of her son's, excuse me, drug abuse and severe mental illness that she felt he was not able to manage his finances. Allman receives regular payments from his trust fund that was set up by his father, the late musician Greg Allman. As far as any other sources of income, I'm not entirely sure, but that seems to be the main one in question from my understanding. The 47-year-old claims that he resisted the motion because unlike what happened to Brittany, <laughs> where, you know, she wasn't presented with the motion slash request to, for the conservatorship, like she legally should have been, Elijah was notified and given the option to resist slash turn down this request and basically advocate for himself saying, nah, I don't need this. He has also maintained that he is currently sober and has been drug free for some time now. In one court document, Allman is quoted stating, while I understand that my mother, the proposed conservator, believes she is looking out for my best interests and I appreciate her love and support, I do not need her unsolicited help at this time, end quote. In another document, he stated, quote, in the two weeks since that initial hearing, I have been successfully managing my income and expenses and have refrained from the use of illicit substances that have historically caused the incidents that have given my mother cause or given rise to my mother's concern, end quote. So he does admit that he understands his mother has some concern 
for his well-being. And obviously, he doesn't have the best track record. He is known for being a, you know, addict, unfortunately. But, you know, he's like, I'm doing fine. I don't I don't need your help. But what I like and wanted to bring this story up for is the fact that, uh, like I said, unlike Brittany, he's given the option. And this is how, like, petitioning for conservatorship should go, in my opinion. Alman has since tested negative on three separate drug and alcohol tests and has attended at least 15 AA meetings since last March. Alman is also alleging that his pop star mother stole his car, well, took his car, sorry, I'm not going to put words in his mouth, took his car, to which he had to report missing. The car was later located at her home in Malibu. Now, whether the police had to go and look for it or she fessed up and told him where it was, I'm not sure which, it doesn't say. Um, But yeah, that's kind of, kind of screwed up. You know, again, you know, I don't really know about their relationship and you know clearly I'm not a mom either so like I can I can definitely understand you know mother's concern but mother is smothering her child I feel like in this way and part of me is slightly curious if this is stending from some sort of like maybe guilt share is feeling You know, I'm not saying she doesn't want to look out for his best interest. I just feel like what she has done, like with the kidnapping or the alleged kidnapping, you know, and then supposedly taking his car and then now filing for this conservatorship. I mean, like I said, she's just she's really going to the extreme. I mean, it's not like Elijah is a teenager or even a young adult. He's almost 50. And, you know, while I do understand it's got to be difficult to have a son or child struggle with addiction the way he is, you know, like I said, and I'll say it again, you know, sometimes you have to wait for the person to want to help themselves. And given that he is sober now, maybe he is doing better. I hope though, like for them, for the future, if they are looking to fix their relationship at some point, I really hope that like, maybe they go through some counseling you know, have a professional there to help guide them through this because it just seems like there might be some complicated history between the two of them. And, you know, like I said, I'm basing this off of Cher's reaction to all of this. On a separate though, no, Elijah has also petitioned to the judge to dismiss his divorce request and the judge has granted it. So it seems like Elijah and his, well, would have been ex-wife, I guess still wife, Marie Angela, um, they are reconciling and living together as a happy cu- uh, happy married couple. So, you know, we will see how that goes. But, you know, like I said, it looks like things are looking up for Elijah. And I think, you know, maybe Cher just needs to back off a little bit and let her son get his own shit together. Our next news story takes us to the world of the NHL. Five NHL players are being charged with sexual assault in connection with a 2018 assault that occurred after the Hockey Canada Gala on June 18th, 2018. Flyers goalie Carter Hart, New Jersey Devil forward Michael McLeod, and defenseman Carl Foote, Calgary Flames forward Dylan Tube, and former Ottawa Senators forward Alex Formentin have come forward and turned themselves into police. All of them 
have been charged with sexual assault, according to their lawyers. In 2022, a civil lawsuit filed by a woman only known by initials E.M., alleged that she was sexually assaulted by eight members of the Canada World Junior Team the night of the Hockey Canada Gala. The lawsuit claims she met one of the players, known in the court documents as John Doe No. 1, at a bar called Jack's. The woman stated that she had become increasingly intoxicated and agreed to return to John Doe No. 1's hotel room with him. The two then engaged in quote-unquote sexual acts. From my understanding, this was consensual. It became non-consensual when John Doe number one started inviting his teammates into his room to also, quote, engage in sex acts with her. According to the civil suit, the woman stated that she was not okay with this and attempted to leave, but was coerced, manipulated, and intimidated into staying. She said that she also feared for her physical safety when they allegedly brought in golf clubs into the room. The men then took turns engaging in oral and vaginal sex with her. When they were done, she was coerced into making two videos stating that what had happened was consensual and in one source said that she also had to claim that she was sober. Do things that were not true. Another source also stated that they made her take a shower afterwards. The next day, her stepfather at the time, from my understanding, the stepfather is no longer married to the mother, but that's neither here nor there. He called the Hockey Canada's HR department and reported what had happened to his then 20-year-old stepdaughter. At the time, execs of Hockey Canada, of course, claimed a lot of ignorance from, you know, when it was that they supposedly first heard about the assaults to which players were involved. They did, however, launch their own internal investigation via, well, not internal, but their own investigation via a third party along with police investigation. Now, this first investigation slash inquiry was essentially dropped because according to Hockey Canada, E.M. declined to speak to police and investigators, which I can't say that I blame her. You know, a lot of people would maybe unrightfully or unjustly get upset at her for not wanting to tell her story. But I honestly think people really underestimate how much trauma can affect someone and how the mind is literally doing anything it can in order to survive. Like, I can't even imagine the amount of stress and pain and anger and shame and all of the things that she went through. And, you know, I can see how maybe her not wanting to speak at like to anyone on an official capacity (laughs) was probably like a probably her brain trying to be like, okay, we're still trying to figure out what the fuck happened (laughs) and process And, you know, then being asked questions about it and just the stigma and everything. So, again, I don't blame her because clearly in 2022, she was able to find her courage when she filed the civil lawsuit against Hockey Canada. In that civil suit, she was able to receive a settlement of, I believe it was $3.55 million, or at least that was what she was requesting, which, again, totally fair. It is a hell of a lot easier to file a civil suit the way that she did and kind of, 
get her own justice without having to go through the full legal system and having to maybe re-traumatize herself to the extent that going on trial would do. So I'm not surprised, you know, that that was the avenue that she decided to go with. So why are police and investigators pressing charges against these five hockey players? I'm honestly not sure because you would think once that settlement was done, it would be case closed. But apparently they're going to, not apparently, but this upcoming Monday, it is scheduled for the London, Ontario Police Department to be holding a press conference and give updates about this case. So I will keep you all posted on that as well. And for our last story, news story for today, former WWE personality and exec Vince McMahon is facing sex trafficking allegations by an ex-employee. This ex-employee is said not to be the only one as a number of other women have claimed sexual misconduct by Vince McMahon. In 2022, the Wall Street Journal did publish an article reporting that McMahon was agreeing to pay over $12 million over the past two decades to settle sexual misconduct allegations. But most recently, another ex-employee by the name of Janelle Grant accused him in a lawsuit of inflicting, quote, psychological torture and physical violence, end quote, while making, quote, depraved sexual demands, end quote. Of course, this was all in exchange for her continued employment. Janelle has also accused McMahon of trafficking her to other WWE employees. However, she has not said who or named names or anything of that nature that I can tell. McMahon, of course, is denying all this claim, all of these claims, but at this very moment, he is now under federal investigation so there will also be more to come with that story i mean i can't i hate to say i'm not surprised but i mean if you've ever seen Vince man kind of like yeah he seemed like he just looks like the type of guy who would do that i know you shouldn't judge a book by its cover but there's evidence or at least there seems like there's going to be some evidence coming out so i don't really care anyway let's take a quick break and when we get back we are going to discuss this week's case Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I'm really excited to talk to you all about one of our ITBR sponsors, Broadview Press. Broadview Press is an independent academic publisher in the humanities that produces high-quality, pedagogically useful books for use in university and college classrooms. They publish mainly in English studies, writing, philosophy, and history. They are always publishing with an eye towards diversity, building a strong list of titles from women, people of color, and authors from other marginalized groups. If you haven't heard my Broadview Press interviews, you need to. Recently, I just had on Dr. Shannon Day, who talked about her book, Beyond the Binary, Thinking About Sex and Gender. And in the summer, I had on Dr. Jason Holt, who gave us all a comprehensive history of what it means to be a philosopher who studies sporting culture. And of course, we went back to ancient Greek, literature, mythology, history, to look at the roots of athleticism. And... Last year, I had on Dr. Jeffrey Andrew Weinstock, who's actually going to be coming on the podcast soon to give his thoughts on the new Fall of the House of Usher Netflix series. He talked all about pop culture for beginners. 
And Broadview Press is offering an exclusive discount because of our sponsorship. So head to broadviewpress.com where you're going to see such a wide range of literature. Use the code Ivory Tower, I-V-O-R-Y-T-O-W-E-R for 20% off site-wide all of their books. Again, it's broadviewpress.com. Enjoy your reading. Are you a fan of LGBTQ plus books, plays, movies, TV shows? Well, then I have the magazine for you. It's called The Gay and Lesbian Review. The GNLR is a bi-monthly magazine of history, culture, and politics that publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies. Each issue brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme, and it brings together the leading minds on the topic. So I just had on Dr. Richard Schneider Jr., the founder and editor-in-chief of the GNLR, for the GNLR's 30th anniversary. Happy birthday, GNLR. Dr. Richard Schneider talked about their special volume called Outer Appearances, More Faces from the Annals of the GNLR, illustrations by Charles Heffling. They cover current LGBTQ artists such as Harvey Firestein, Melissa Etheridge, Alan Cumming, James Whiteside, Alison Bechdel, and even David Sedaris, and of course, many others like Stephen Sondheim. There's even a supplemental issue that comes with your commemorative volume. And Andrew Halloran, the writer of Dancer from the Dance, he reviews a book called Morris about E.M. Farster's Morris, written by one of our ITBR guests, David Grevin. So we can't wait for you all to experience this beautiful 30th anniversary GNLR issue. Have you heard some of my GNLR interviews, including Dr. Andrew Lear's discussion about male-male love in ancient Greek society and Ignacio Darnad opening and blasting the closet door in the queer male art world? Well, definitely make sure you listen to them after this episode. Head to glreview.org. Make sure you subscribe to their magazine. You'll see there's a section that says subscribe at the top. Enter the promo code ITBR50. That's ITBR50 to receive 50% off, 50% off any print or digital subscription. Enjoy your reading. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? Or have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? Then the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie. In addition to the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog. So you can see all of this on glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Remember, you get 50% off your subscription of the GL Review magazine when you use the promo code ITBR50. That's 50% off your print or digital subscription when you use promo code ITBR50. To learn more about submitting an article for the GNLR, Visit their writer's guidelines. The link is located at the bottom of their homepage. And if you have any questions, email Stephen Hemrick. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot 
H-E-M-R-I-C-K at glreview.org. The GNLR and its readers can't wait to see what you have to say. Mackenzie Nicole Cowell was born on April 1st, 1992 in Washington State to Mr. and Mrs. Reed Cowell. Now, it's not like explicitly stated. It just says that at some point she lives between both of her parents' houses. So at some point, Mackenzie's parents do separate and possibly divorced. I couldn't find if she had like any siblings, step-siblings or like half-siblings. But, you know, it just seemed like she had a very fairly normal upbringing. Mackenzie lived in Orondo, Washington during her senior year, where she attended Wenatchee High School. The 17-year-old senior was a member of her school's dance team, and outside of school, she modeled and attended the Wenatchee Academy of Hair Design, where she studied cosmetology. Now, for those of you who don't know or are like, wait a minute, she went to beauty school. Yes, she went to beauty school. So, but, and you don't just learn hair in beauty school. You also learn about facials and makeup and nails and all that other good stuff too. So it's not just hair. You know, it is a lot more involved than that. Um, I also went to cosmetology school and, you know, I remember having to learn anatomy for like the face and the hands and your feet and even certain different parts of like the neck and shoulder area as well. So, you know, it's not, it's not just, you know, doing each other's hair, painting each other's nails, things like that, or just even learning those techniques necessarily. You're also, like I said, learning all this more intense stuff. Um, Fun fact, cosmetologists have to go to school longer than police officers. Just saying. Now, on February 9th, 2010, Mackenzie left during the regularly scheduled, or at least it's in the schedule that you have to have a 15-minute break. It sometimes changes time-wise, day-to-day, depending on the curriculum, but it's usually there. So she decided she needed to leave, and she told some of her classmates, you know, she'll be back before it was over. She also did just double check with the school just to see if she had to officially sign out or not. Um, The hours are marked and logged very carefully and like very strictly. So that's why she was probably asking if she had to log in and or sign in and out for it. If I remember correctly, I don't think you had to sign out for 15 minute breaks I mean, like I said, they were very strictly enforced that you were back because, excuse me, your timer was still going. Um, I know we had to definitely clock out for lunch. And if we had to, like, leave for any reason, we had to log out as well. Because, like I said, they were just very strict about logging hours. Um, So, again, I can see why she might have been asking just to make sure. Mackenzie was seen on surveillance footage leaving out the back door walking to her car, and then driving off. At around this time, which was like, I think, 3 o'clock, she texted her boyfriend just, hey, and then he responded pretty quickly, hey. At around 5.40 p.m., her father, Reed, attempted to call her, but all of his calls were going straight to voicemail. 
And obviously at this point, you know, the more he's calling and it's going straight to voicemail and she's not responding, he's freaking out and getting more nervous. At around 8 p.m., a rancher reported an abandoned car near his driveway in Pitcher Canyon. I'm sorry, not Pitcher, Pritcher Canyon. Pritcher Canyon is 40 miles away from Mackenzie's home and where her cosmetology school was. Now, the car's registered owner was found to be Reed Cowell, Mackenzie's father. And, of course, this was, in fact, Mackenzie's car. So, Mr. Cowell was contacted by police, and he actually informed them, like, yeah, I haven't been able to get in touch with my daughter all day. That is her car. I'm now, like, she's missing. She has to be missing. Inside of Mackenzie's car, they found her purse and some clothing, but her debit card and cell phone were missing. Police also found a pair of footprints that led away from the car. Residents around that ranch area and the driveway told police that they recalled seeing a man with dark hair who worked, who worked, who wore a dark colored coat walking away from Mackenzie's car between 4.30 and 5.30 p.m. On February 13th, Nearly four days after she disappeared, Mackenzie's remains were discovered in the Columbia River, roughly 20 miles east of Wenatchee, where, like I said, her cosmetology school was. So she was found sort of at, like, it seems like a halfway-ish point. However, though, as we all know, I am not great with geography or math, but I can do 40 minus 20. But also, don't entirely quote me on that. I am here in Port Jefferson, New York, on Long Island, in one of my favorite stores. It is the Soapbox NY, a Bath and Body Boutique. I'm here with one of the co-owners, Janine. Hi, Janine. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Thank you. Good. So I know you have many winter scents to walk us through. So let's yes. get started. This is from company Michelle Design Works, another one of our favorites. Room spray that you can use any room in your house, just kind of freshens up the room a bit. And what is this by Michelle Design Also Works? by Michelle Design Works is Winter Blooms, one of their new scents this holiday season. It's great. It's um, a hand wash. You can use it in your kitchen or your bathroom. And then here and is something to follow it up with. Exactly. It's a hand and body lotion. And then what is this beautiful decorative candle here? One of our favorites that we actually sell mm. all year round because it's so popular. This is the scent of Fraser Fur by Times. I think I'm becoming addicted to it. Yes. I think you are because you already own one, I believe. I own one <laughs> and it is a decorative candle for me because I'm about to open it, but it's just in such I know the packaging a beautiful is, package. I don't know what's better, the packaging or the scent. I'm using it wonderful. as a holiday decoration. So cool. I'll get to the candle eventually, Thank everyone. But it's wonderful because with Times and their Fraser Fur, not only do they carry the candles, but they also make it in the sense in the diffuser, in soap, the hand lotion, the um, the hand soap. It's just a great line and a great scent. So, Janine, how can everyone out there get their hands on your hand and body and even pajama products? Well, we'd be more than happy to see you in our shop. We're located at 18 Chandler Square in Port Jefferson Village. You could always call us to place an order. We're happy to ship to you. Our phone number is 631-509-1424. You can place an order on our website, soapboxny.com. And you could also find us on Instagram or TikTok at the soapboxny. 
so many options. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for all of you out there to just enjoy what I love so much about the Soapbox NY. So with yeah. that, thank you so much. Happy winter, everyone. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby. And when I'm not here on the podcast, I am consulting with small businesses, undergraduate students, graduate students, podcasters, and those in media. So if you're curious about the work that I've done with my consultation services, you could just type me in on Google, Ivory Tower Boiler Room, and you'll see a few reviews pop up. I've worked on college admission essays for undergraduate students. I've revamped and expanded a small business's social media marketing campaign right here in Port Jefferson, New York. And I've also worked on a graduate student's thesis for her physician assistant program. So if you want to seek me out or inquire about my consultation services, just email me. That's the easiest way to reach me at ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com. That's easy to remember. And tis the season for college admission essays, both undergraduate and graduate, thesis writing, dissertation writing. Um, Do you want to create a podcast and you don't know where to begin? Media work, um, how to open a TikTok, how to start creating videos on TikTok, what to do with your Instagram. All of that I have done. So just reach out to me. The holiday season may be behind us, but guess what's lurking around the corner? Picture that little baby with a bow and arrow. Yes, Valentine's Day is almost here. And I'm thinking of what gift can I get that my boyfriend will absolutely love and gush over? Well, he is a horror movie fanatic, so I think I have just the thing that he'll die for. Pun intended. My good friend Mandy Bangle is the owner of Mandy Made It, a craft company where she specializes in crochet and cre-cut handmade gifts. So whether your partner is a horror movie fanatic, I'm sure that they have a TV show they love. Maybe there's a book that they love, a music artist, a sports team that they cheer for. Mandy has you covered from shirts, hats, Beanie hats, which I love to wear at the gym, car decals, beer and coffee koozies, keychains, stuffed animals, signs that you want to put all over your apartment. She is ready to create any customized order. So head to Instagram right now. Type in at Mandy Made It. That's M-A-N-D-E-E Made It. Slide into her DMs. And she is ready to start working on your order. Just send her a few ideas. You could say, hey, my boyfriend really loves horror movies. Or, hey, my boyfriend really loves the Broadway musical, Wicked. I'm sure she will figure out some concoction for you. And say that you heard her ad on the Ivory Tower Boiler Room because she's going to give you an exclusive ITBR free gift. She's also working on a new line of ITBR merchandise. So I can't wait to share all of that information with you. Make sure you mention at Ivory Tower Boiler Room when your gift arrives from Mandy so I can share it out on our Instagram. I hope you all enjoy your gifts. After Mackenzie's body was found, an autopsy was ordered. 
that autopsy revealed that Mackenzie had died sometime between 3.30 and 4.30 p.m. on February 9th, the day she disappeared. No drugs or alcohol were detected in her system, and there was no evidence of sexual assault. Thank God. Mackenzie did, however, sustain blood force trauma to the head, strangulation, and stabbing. When her body was recovered, she was still wearing her cosmetology school uniform. The kitchen knife used to stab her was embedded in her shoulder. Investigators determined that the killer had attempted to cut Mackenzie's arm off. A multi-agency task force was assembled and worked with the FBI. Investigators soon cleared Mackenzie's family and her boyfriend from the suspect list. Now, some sources say that Mackenzie's boyfriend failed a polygraph, which we all know now, especially, that is not a way or the best way at all to tell if someone is lying or not. It's not even allowed to be used in court anymore. But regardless, he failed this, so police obviously were looking into him and questioning and questioning him, and he revealed that he and Mackenzie had gotten into an argument the day before she went missing. Thankfully, though, of course, he really didn't have anything to do with her disappearance and murder, and he was, like I said, eventually cleared. Police also looked into Mackenzie's boyfriend, or Mackenzie's mother's boyfriend, who apparently she did not get along with. I'm not exactly sure, like, if they just questioned him, if he had to take a polygraph or whatever the procedure was for him. Eventually, though, as I mentioned, he was cleared, but just to point out that these were the speculations that were the police were going off of. Shortly after, a police informant named Liz Reed came forward and stated that she had seen a snuff film of Mackenzie's murder from two local drug dealers that she knew. This, however, turned out to be false information, and she withdrew her accusation very quickly after. This, of course, you know, was another unfortunate dead end that police were just kept finding. You know, between the boyfriend, the mother's boyfriend, and now this. It's like... Because, you know, in other times we do see some missteps from the police, and this just isn't that. This is just them, you know, trying to, A, roll people out, but then also trying to follow up on leads that are just fluff for, you know, fake for attention. Meanwhile, you know... Mackenzie's parents have to deal with the, you know, false hopes and, you know, just all of the stress that comes with, you know, this unfortunate incident. I mean, obviously, I've never been through it, but I can't even imagine how stressful this must have been for them. Later that August, another informant named Theo Keys sent investigators a letter informing him of this friend of his that they should look into. This actually wound up being something useful. This friend was named Christopher Wilson. Now, Theo Keyes told police that Wilson, his friend, attended the same cosmetology school as Mackenzie Cowell. He also had this morbid fascination with death and murder and serial killers and that his friend, Wilson, was fired from a funeral home for an unknown offense that he didn't talk about. Now, for some of you who might be confused, because if I didn't know this necessarily about cosmetology school and the types of business you can get into there after graduation and passing all of your state exams, 
I would not have known that, like, essentially him going to cosmetology school would essentially benefit him working in a funeral home because someone has to do the deceased's makeup. So if some of you were like, wait a minute, he was working at a funeral home, which, I mean, he was fired for. It seems like things might have gotten strange. Um, it's possible, and this is my complete conjecture, that he might have been going to cosmetology school as a way to get back into working in funeral homes. The letter from Keyes also stated that he had witnessed himself Christopher Wilson choking a mutual female friend at a party and then kind of just walked away as if nothing happened. Now, just for some context to give you an idea of Wilson, uh, Christopher Wilson, he was kind of like your stereotypical goth kid, wore all black clothing, dyed his hair black, you know, could see that he was kind of an outcast. He had this obsession with death and serial killers, like I said. So he was a little bit different. Um, some people also like to point out the fact that he is a tattoo of Hannibal Lecter, which, you know, I feel like... And even, like, being having a fascination with death, maybe, and with serial killers, like... I feel like those things can be normal interests for normal people who don't go on to commit murder, (laughs) right? Thankfully, police looked into this lead and they discovered that Christopher Wilson left the cosmetology school, like just totally left shortly after Mackenzie herself drove off. They also compared Christopher Wilson's Description to those of the witnesses the day that Mackenzie's car was abandoned. You know, the one that the witnesses had seen. On October 6th, Christopher Wilson was brought in for questioning, in which he offered up his own DNA. Because of this, investigators were able to link his DNA to duct tape found near Mackenzie's body. Some sources also claim that they were also able to identify Mackenzie's DNA in Wilson's apartment. Some say they didn't, some say they did. Regardless, it's not looking good for Wilson. Police also looked at his phone records and found that he had contacted his ex-girlfriend quite a bit, and when they questioned her, she told them that he had called her very panicked and said that something really, really bad had happened. Investigators later discovered videos where Wilson can be heard asking his ex-girlfriend, Does it look clean in here? Wilson was quickly arrested and charged with second-degree murder and held on a $1 million bond. Two months later, the ex-girlfriend, allegedly named Tessa Schulman, was accused of but never officially charged with helping Wilson conceal Mackenzie's murder. In April of 2011, Christopher Wilson was offered a plea deal. Six years for pleading guilty to first-degree manslaughter. Wilson rejected this deal. However, when potential jurors were pulled for trial, it was discovered that 80% of them believed him to be guilty of killing her intentionally. After the jury was selected, Wilson decided to take a plea deal that would put him in prison for 14 years for first-degree manslaughter. He was also going to be serving time for first-degree robbery and second-degree assault. 
He is currently in prison where he's maintaining his is his innocence and states that he only took this plea deal because he did not believe that he would receive a fair trial, which I mean, yeah, I mean, everyone pretty much that was potentially going to be selected thought that he did it. So, or at least the majority of them did. So they would only be looking from a 20% pool of people to pick from. So I guess I understand that. I also could not find a motive anywhere or any explanation as for why they were only like these plea deals were charging him with manslaughter and for very minimal time which to me is just frustrating part of me is wondering if it's the lack of like more physical evidence so like for example the duct tape that was found near Mackenzie's body that had his DNA Yes, it's physical. It was right there and it was near her, but it didn't say that it was like on her person and therefore like was used in her murder or, you know, the hiding, concealing of her body. You know, it's just it could be very strangely happenstance. Same thing with the video. We don't know why he's asking the ex-girlfriend, you know. If it looks clean in here, it could just be because he wanted to know. Um, there was one source that said that it was possible in the video to see if there was like, like it was possible to see a blood stain. I did not see the video myself, so I can't say that for sure. And it was only like in one source, um, you know, but I just feel like there was a lack of, you know, very compelling concrete evidence. I guess. So I feel like that might be a reason. But again, I feel like we would, I feel like we would know about a motive more so. And the fact that there is nothing is just like, what? Christopher Wilson did later file a motion to withdraw his guilty plea, but it was thankfully rejected. He is currently at Large Correction Center and is scheduled to be up for, or actually was scheduled to be up for parole last year, but I haven't seen anything as far as if he was granted parole or not, or what the verdict was of that. So if I see anything, I will keep you all posted. I don't know. Personally, I get the vibe that he's doing all this because he feels like there's not strong enough evidence against him not necessarily because he didn't do it so like I said I will keep you all posted but that is all I have for you this week I hope you all enjoy this new week coming up I hope it's less stressful for you I know I'm going to be kind of stressed out <laughs> um, just because like I said I have my surgery coming up so I mean that's just nerve-wracking for me in general but also just trying to make sure that like I will be comfortable and have all the things that I need and stuff like that because I'm anticipating not being able to move, move much from my bed, you know, so. But anyway, don't forget to follow True Crime and Academia on Instagram or on social media, on Instagram, TikTok and threads. I'm at True Crime and Academia and on Twitter slash X at TC in Academia. If you would like to listen to this episode and other episodes ad-free or bonus episodes, go to patreon.com slash ivorytowerboilerroom and for the price of a cup of coffee a month, 
you can get, like I said, these episodes ad-free and bonus content. All right, my loves. I hope you all stay safe out there, stay healthy, and until next time, I will see you all later.